a lot of tension throughout any given day. Some of us may even feel a tension between who it is that we want to be and how we live most of the time. We want to be this, but we really end up living like that. It's a sad fact, friends, that we don't live out all the truth we believe. Regardless of whatever truth we may believe, there's something of a disconnect between what we believe and how we live. It's human nature. It's human frailty. Theologians would say it's the effect of our carnal nature, our flesh, the part of us that refuses to obey God. It's one of the reasons that Sunday is always easier than Monday. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. We come into church and we agree with the message and we may even let out an amen. Let me, let me just hear what that sounds like if everybody just said amen one time. We may come into church, we agree with the message, we may let out an amen or maybe even an oh yeah. And if we get really excited, we may even let out a come on, Pastor Tim. Oh, come on, somebody. Just because we may believe the Bible's true, though, that doesn't mean that it's automatically going to be enacted in our lives. How many of you know what I'm talking about? This is the consistent theme of a book we're currently walking through together on Sunday mornings. It's a book written by the younger brother of Jesus, a man known to us as James. The book of James is a plain spoken instruction manual for living out faith in Jesus. James put the cookies, he puts the cookies on the bottom shelf for all of us who are hungry. He teaches us practical skills to be able to live well. How to respond to hard times. How to handle our relative wealth or relative poverty. How to have a real faith that makes a difference in our lives and in our world. James gives instruction about our words, our obedience to God, our prayers, and our humility. It's this topic of humility that the Scripture brings us to this morning. Specifically, putting humility into practice. Now, I think we all agree that humility is a good thing to have. We'll nod our head and we'll agree when the verses are read, when the point is made, but agreement, again, won't make humility real or active in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our words, or in our actions. Now, somebody possibly hearing me this morning might say, you know, Tim, I'm, I'm already pretty humble. I'm not sure I need this. But of course, if you think that, what? You're, you're not really humble, so you need it more than anybody else. Somebody once said that pride's like bad breath. Everybody knows you have it except for you. So instead of making sure we have a good toothbrush or making sure, remember, we remember to floss or that we have mouthwash, we need to make sure that we have someone who loves us enough to tell us the truth, even when it might hurt our feelings, even if we don't want to hear it. James is the friend like that. But before we look at James chapter 4, let's see what other books in the Bible have to say about this topic of humility. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. 1 Peter 5, 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How many of you want grace? Me too. 
Clothe yourselves, he says, all of you, with humility towards one another. It's a whole lot easier to be humble in a room by yourself than it is to be in a room with a bunch of other people. Right? I could be a whole lot more humble if it wasn't for them, or if it wasn't for him, or if it wasn't for her. How many know what I'm talking about? With humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God, give us grace. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This mind is ours in Christ Jesus. This mind of humility, not just looking out for our own interests, but also to the interests of others. This verse, Paul goes on to say in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, We had been reading Philippians 2, verse 4 and 5, going down to Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the ultimate example of humility for us to follow. James saw this humility up close and is qualified as an expert witness to instruct us. So let's look at James' warning and instructions to us found in James chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. James writes, Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. We can get rid of some of that tension in our lives that exists in the gap between who we know we should be and who we are. We can live a more consistent humility that honors God, that releases blessing in our lives and in lives around us. There's three areas that James focuses us on in these passages. The first area he tells us about is how to have greater, number one, humility in our relationships. Number one, humility in our relationships. I'm going to reread that section, verses 11 through 12. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, you can Google biblical humility. Humility, that's easy for me to say. Humility. There's a lot of opinions about what that is. You can Google that and you'll come up with a lot of definitions. Well, let me walk you through how I see it. Romans 12, verses 3 through 5 says this, 
For by the grace given to me, Paul is writing, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So Paul tells us here not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Well, that's great. But how highly are we supposed to think of ourselves? What if I'm just really cool? Or good looking? Why'd you laugh when I said that? Or good looking? Or handsome? Or funny? Or hardworking? Or talented? Or smart? What if I just have a lot of these kind of gifts? How highly should we think of ourselves when we have some of these gifts? Well, I think the answer is we shouldn't think of ourselves any higher than anybody else. To look down on others' attitudes, habits, personality, beliefs, or lifestyles, we have to put ourselves above them. This is the kind of attitude that encourages us to criticize one another. This criticism is the enemy of real community and the enemy of godly humility. We shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. That means we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than anybody else. We're all in this together. There, but by the grace of God, go I. James says that we should not criticize other believers. So does that mean that we should not try to determine what behavior of individuals is right or wrong. I mean, isn't that what it means to judge? He said right here, who are we to judge? No, judging doesn't mean that we discern, that we determine what's right and wrong. No, judging means that as a result of the behavior that we think is wrong, that we have discerned is wrong by what the Bible says, By judging them, it means we devalue them, we condemn them, we criticize them, or ridicule them because of their wrong, unbiblical behavior, attitudes, or beliefs. It's not that we're not supposed to determine right from wrong, truth from error. It's that we look down on people who may be pulled into error, who may be pulled into sin, who may be on the wrong side of some of these issues. Judging them means devaluing them, condemning them, criticizing them or ridiculing them because of their wrong behavior, attitudes, beliefs. Now, one of the most known verses in the Bible, just about every non-Christian, non-church-going person knows this verse, Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, Jesus says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged. If you've ever tried to speak to some issue on Facebook, you will probably get some version of this verse Um, written back to you in a reply. Who are you to judge? Jesus goes on to say, For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye when you don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in my own. Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then don't worry about anything else. Is that what it says? 
First take the beam of wood out of your eye, then you will see clearly to do what? Take the splinter out of your brother's eye. So are we still supposed to help our brother get the splinter out? Yes. But we need to make sure that we are relating to him as somebody who's dealing with our own stuff and relates to him knowing that we have our own stuff too. Jesus didn't say to ignore the speck in your brother's eye, but he said to make sure that we deal with our own stuff first and reach out to help him, not to criticize or condemn him. So there is some judging that we have to do in regards to behavior, attitudes, beliefs, lifestyle, etc., especially in the world we live in today. We have to be able to keep our mind and keep our focus, understand what God's Word says, and then at the same time, not go gargling with gunpowder and shooting our mouth off at people because we disagree with them, because they are doing things that are anti-biblical, because they're doing things that the Bible says not to do. We're judging them. We are judging the lifestyle, the behavior, the beliefs, but not the person. That determination and understanding of wrong should be used to warn them and to reach out to them. Right? You with me? There's someone who I love that says he is leaving Christianity to embrace Norse mythology. He put a post on his Facebook page the other day, and it says, I'd rather be a wolf of Odin than a lamb of God. Needless to say, that raised a bunch of responses. So after determining that this is a false and harmful belief based on the Bible, I could tell him, son, this is the dumbest thing I have ever seen you do. He's not my son. I'm not talking about Carter. So I could, or I could reach out in a respectful and informed way to try to help him get the speck out. So do I pray or do I call up a bunch of people and get on Facebook and say, man, what in the world is this kid doing? What in the world is his problem? How in the world did he make such a dumb choice? How could he be so hard-headed in what he's doing? What in the world is he doing? If someone we know is headed for what we think is spiritually or relationally dangerous direction, then we need to reach out in a concerned I'm not sure if you see where this is headed, but let me give you a warning. I really hope you're going to think about kind of a way, right? Not you're so stupid, what in the world's the matter with you? Or even holding that kind of opinion in our hearts towards them. Because what is in our hearts is going to come out, right? People are going to feel it. They're going to know it. We need to treat each other with graciousness and generosity. We need to treat each other with love and with faith, believing the best instead of suspecting the worst. Sometimes we we look at discernment and we treat it like suspicion. Discernment isn't suspicion. We need to give each other the benefit of the doubt. And importantly, we need to take the time to learn each other's stories. None of us gets where we are in a vacuum. There's reasons why we are the way we are, why we face the struggles we face. Pain, trauma, abuse, deception, challenges, weaknesses. Let's get to know each other and learn some history 
before we decide we know what's going on with somebody. And it's quiet in here this morning. This will give us the needed compassion and discernment to know how to help them in the most effective way. The next time, friends, the next time we're about to criticize a brother or a sister in the body of Christ, let's not. Are you anybody with me out there? Let me turn the, I'm going to turn the lights up out there so I can see y'all. That's a good place to say, man. I'm going to read that one more time. The next time we are about to criticize a brother or sister in the body of Christ, let's not. Instead, let's pray. Let's get together. Let's take some time to learn their story, understand their situation, and reach out to help in any way. It's going to take time. It takes patience. We see Jesus doing this all over the New Testament. He stops, he's on his way someplace, and he stops to minister to somebody. He stops to talk to somebody. Now, he doesn't get, have to get the whole background because he already knows. But Jesus wants these things to be happening in us. We can't just make instant decisions and go, that's that, that's that. I'm as guilty of this as anybody in the room. We need to take some time, learn some story learn some history, and figure out how we can help, not so that we can figure out how to criticize. Not so we can figure out what's wrong. I knew there was something wrong with them. I knew there was, I just could feel it. Brother, that's not discernment, that's suspicion. We're supposed to love one another, support one another. We are part of the same whole. We need humility in our relationships. This honors God. It releases grace. And it makes way for transformation in them and in us. How many of you want to be more like Jesus? We need to practice humility in our relationships. We, we don't know as much as we think we do. We're not as good as we think we are. We're not as bad as we think we are, depending on what edge of that spectrum you're in. We're all in this together. We need humility in our relationships. Number two, we need humility in our plans. Humility in our plans. James chapter 4, 13 through 16. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. We all need friends who tell us the truth even when we don't want to hear it. James is that friend. If you don't have any other friends like that, James will be your friend. He'll tell us the stuff that we don't want to hear. To make plans without any real regard to God's will for our lives is arrogant and prideful. And that's rough to hear. Because we just go throughout the day a lot of times to just make decisions. Somebody said one time, write your plans in pencil and give God the eraser. Man, that is good advice. Write your plans in pencil and give God the eraser. Now, I'm not saying that we need to pray about what kind of socks we should wear in the morning. I knew a lady, she was so sweet. I got, she prayed about what color socks she should put on in the morning. 
I, man, I love you, sis, but I, I, I don't know that that, that, is, that that is something you need to pray about. She would pray about what parking spot she should park in. I don't think that we need to pray about what kind of socks we should wear in the morning, about what parking spot we should park in, but we need to make our plans with an eye on, with an ear out for God's affirmation, direction, or correction. God wants to influence our choices and our decision-making on any given day. But friends, are we willing just to pause and to pray? You will remember to stop and to consider. This is like any other habit that we get ourselves in. Do we stop to consider? We can enjoy the benefit of living in the wisdom and plan of God if we will just get in the habit of stopping for a moment to listen for that inward voice from heaven that says, this is the way, walk in it. So we get in these places, we're like, man, I know what to do here. I don't, I don't, I don't need to ask nobody. And we're not thinking specifically about God at that moment, but it's like, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. Right? I don't, I don't need to ask nobody about this. But if we can just stop for a moment, God, make sure what I'm looking at is really what I'm looking at, that what I'm thinking is really what I should be thinking, because all the times what we think we see and what we think we know is not applicable in the way that we think it is. Sarah and I flew back and forth to Santa Fe last week. Santa Fe is beautiful. I wouldn't want to live there. It's a beautiful place to visit. While I was on the plane, I watched the movie about Elvis. Anybody ever seen, has anybody seen the movie about Elvis? What a sad story his life was. He was a drug addict and an alcoholic, and he died as a result of living that lifestyle. According to the movie, again, I don't know Elvis's entire, I don't know his biography, I don't know the actual story. According to the movie, Elvis was touched at an early age by the Holy Spirit. And about that same time, he was greatly influenced by blues musicians and their lifestyle. And the movie shows how these two influences wrestled for control over Elvis for the rest of his life. Now again, according to the movie, there's no real evidence that Elvis ever acted on or considered what was God's will for his life other than to include some gospel songs on his albums and in his shows. But like Elvis, friends, there are competing influences in each of our lives that can cause us to make decisions with little or no regard to what God wants for us or what God wants from us. The more we focus on what will work better and easier, instead of what's right and wrong. Sometimes we default. Well, this is going to be the easiest way. This is going to be the best way through. We'll skip this. We won't do that. The more we focus on what's better and easier instead of what's right and wrong, the more we let our schedules and our time frame frames dictate how much room we give God to work in our situations. When we want it now instead of waiting for God's timing, these types of approaches come naturally to us but they will lead us to rely on our own guidance, our own wisdom, and cause us to bypass God's guidance in our lives. How many of you think that's a bad idea? 
If we want to put humility into practice in greater ways in our lives, we need, number one, humility in our relationships. We need, number two, humility in our plans. And lastly, number three, we need humility in our obedience. Reviewing James chapter 4, verse 17. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. It's sin to know the good and yet not do it. I know this doesn't come as a shock to anybody hearing my voice this morning, but this our world doesn't really have a drug problem or a financial problem or a gun problem or a political problem. Our world has a sin problem. Now before we lean into that too heavily, start pointing fingers and listing grievances, we need to recognize it's not just the world that has a sin problem, so does the church. Now, while the transgressions of the church are going to look a little different than those out there, they're just as serious. Most of our sins are sins of the heart or sins of the mind, things that don't show up so easily on the outside. Pride or lust or critical nature or bitter heart or a doubtful viewpoint. Now, I know that there are a lot of factors that have shaped us. I mentioned this earlier past, present, nature, nurture. And these factors make us more susceptible to some feelings. Now listen to me. This is I need you to listen to what I say, not what you think I say. These factors all make us more susceptible to some feelings that can become sin. Now just hear me out. We know it's right to walk in faith. So I'm asking the question Is doubt a sin? To know to do right and not to do it is sin. The Bible tells us to walk in faith. So the question is, is doubt a sin? The Bible tells us to rejoice and to be glad. So is the question, is depression a sin? The Bible commands us to love one another. So is being critical and harsh with others a sin. He that knows to do good and doesn't do it to him, it is sin. Now, hang with me a little bit longer. We all have struggles and we are all tempted in all kinds of different ways. Being tempted to be critical, being tempted to lose hope being tempted to operate from fear. But temptation is not sin. Are you with me? Temptation is not sin. But giving into temptation, making room for those temptations, those thoughts, even those emotions, making room for them in our hearts, minds, and habits can be and will eventually make sin. Just because we have a struggle doesn't mean it's okay to just give in. That's just the way I am. It's just the way it is. No. While these things are natural for human beings to experience, we have been made for more. We haven't been made to be natural, friends. Where were we made to be? Supernatural containers of the living God. We are all going to be tempted. We all have weaknesses. We all have predispositions towards things. 
And those feelings, those predispositions, even temptation to give into those and give place to them is not sin. But when we carve out space for them, friends, we are disobeying God. It's not okay. There is divine help for each of us to face our struggles and overcome them. Not allow them to overcome us. Humility says we can't stand against this on our own. In our own wisdom, by our own willpower, we need help. If we think of this as no big deal, like, oh, we can take care of this, or we can take care of this later, or we'll get this worked out on the other side, humility understands and recognizes, hey, we can't do this on our own. We need help. We need a helper. We need the body of Christ to help us. There's a whole lot of folks I know, they would much rather serve than ask for help. Friends, I'm sorry, but there's some pride in there somewhere. We don't want to admit weakness. We don't want to let others serve us. Well, we can serve all day long, but boy, don't you come knocking at my door to serve me. I struggle with this too. This this is not... This is not, hey, you guys, this is all of us together because it it reveals weakness. I can't do this on my own. I need help. We need the body of Christ, friend. Can you watch TBN and the God channel? Absolutely you can. Can you have a relationship with Jesus without a connection with a church? Sure you can, but you will never be who God has created you to be without the rest of the body of Christ. And guess what? The body of Christ will not be who God has in his heart for it to be without all the pieces coming together. We need the body of Christ to help us. There's a humility that says, man, I need to be in church. I need to come together with the body of Christ. I don't have it all together. I have something to give, but guess what? I got room to receive. Each one of us has something to give, and we also have room to receive. We need one another, friends. That idea, that realization comes out of a place of humility. We need time alone with God to keep us right on the inside. You can can pray going down the road. You can pray in the shower, doing dishes, whatever. You can fit it in there someplace. But I'm telling you, there's some stuff that's not going to get done until you put everything aside, get alone in a room with God and be with him. Come on, somebody. I'm all for, hey, I I I slept through my prayer time, hit my snooze, I forgot to set my alarm. Man, pray any way you can. But at the end of the day, if you haven't spent time with God, go spend time with God. We're not good enough. We're not strong enough. We're not right enough to do it on our own. We need the body of Christ. We need time alone with God to keep us right. We need to get God's word in our hearts and in our minds. There's a hymn, and I don't know it, about how my heart is prone to wander. Our hearts and our minds are prone to wander. And there are invitations for it to wander every time we pick up a screen. Every time we turn on a TV. 
Every time we hear news on the radio, there's invitations for our heart to wander this way or that. We need God's Word. We need truth that we can stand on, that we can depend on, that we can renew our minds with. Because sometimes it gets all twisted out there. Well, what about this and what about that? And Well, I don't know. That's a really good argument. we got to come back to the plumb line and say, this is what it says. Say, oh, yeah, make, make my thoughts, my heart, my mind line up with it instead of trying to bend it around what I think and what I want. We need the body of Christ. Humility makes that a reality to us. It tells us, man, I need you and you need me. We need time alone with God. We need to get God's word in our minds and hearts. We need to continue to experience God's love and truth and power to give us what we need to overcome our weaknesses, to do what God has called us to do. Friends, he's not called us just to come sit together, sing some songs, hear a message and go home. There's so much more. There's so much more that he wants to use us for. There's so much more that he wants us to experience. There's so much more that he wants us to live. David, if you could give me a little help in the back there. Would you stand with me this morning? As we just prepare to go, I just want to give us a moment for God just to put His finger on whatever it is that He... Because what He wants to say to you in this message is going to be different than what He might want to say to me. What does God want, to, want you to walk out of this place with this morning? What does He want you to take from these words from James and apply to your life? What ruts are we stuck in? Are we angry at Christians, the church, or God because they didn't do what we wanted them to do? Because they've let us down and we've never really gotten over it. We've never forgiven. We've never let it go. Are we angry at a lost world because they don't agree with us, because they push against us? Do we offer the forgiveness to others that God lavishes on us? Are we like Him in our attitudes, in our graciousness? Are we like Him in the way that we relate to one another? Do we offer the same kindness that God gives to us or do we withhold what we have so graciously been given? James reminds us of the critical importance of putting humility into practice. Not just believing it. Not just, not just saying, yes, I, I agree with that. Not, not just doing that, friends. And that is a great place to start. There's a thing in our heart that says, yes, that's right. But then we have to take steps to put it into practice. And the three areas that James points out to us in this portion of Scripture is that we need to exhibit humility. We need to put humility into practice in all of our relationships those among the body and those outside the body. Guess what? We, sometimes we walk around like we have moral superiority to everybody on the planet. People feel it. And I don't want to be with those people. They just make me feel like I'm a bad person. Sometimes we act like we have it all together. Sometimes we act like we, 
We know it all. There but by the grace of God go us. We've been given a great gift. God wants us to take that gift and give it away to others. Not hold it up as a trophy to show them our our own specialness, our own chosenness. Humility comes from seeing ourselves rightly before God and then among others. We need, friends, humility in our relationships. How many of you say, I've, I can be a little too critical. I can judge people too quickly. I want to take time to learn stories. I want to take time to learn history. I, I don't want to be so judgmental, quick to judge, quick to decide. She's a that, they're that. Put a label on them and move on to the next thing. You want to just ask the Lord this morning, God, I'm, I'm asking to have a little more humility in my relationships. For me to recognize that I'm, I'm not supposed to think of myself more highly than them. We're all in this together. You say, God, forgive me this morning. Maybe that's you. I just encourage you. Just lift your hand towards heaven right now. God, forgive me. I don't want to look down on other people. Just because I understand something of God's holiness because I understand something of His life, His peace, His joy, His strength in my own life. I I don't want to look down on others because of it. I want to reach across to them in Jesus' name. I want to reach across with love and with grace and with graciousness. Say, man, I just want to to throw this flag and just say, hey, you you might want to look at this. I don't don't think this is going to help you. I don't think this is going to do what you think it's going to do. I don't think you understand the effects of this decision that you're making right now. And maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. So I I just want to throw this out there to you. Arm around the shoulder, not a finger in the face. God, help us to have humility in our relationships. God, help us to have humility in our plans that we don't just assume that we know what and when and how. But for us to just get in the habit of just stopping for a moment. Say, God, what do you think about this? Am I, am I seeing this rightly? We're, we're about to make a phone call. We're about to go meet somebody. We're about to go do this thing. Just stop for a moment. God, give me wisdom today. We're on our way to work. We've been doing the same job for a long time. God, give me wisdom today. Help me to see it with your eyes. God, forgive us for all the ways that we've just assumed, that we've made plans without considering your will, your purposes. God, we don't want to be arrogant, as James says. We want to practice humility. We want to depend on you. We want to be guided and led by you. God, we want to put humility into practice in our plans, and we want to put humility into practice in our obedience. We need the body. We need time with you. We we can't afford to look at some things and say, oh, that's no big deal, or that's no big deal. Where we've put ourselves above the Word of God, above the conviction of God. God, we submit ourselves back unto all those things. We submit ourselves to You today. You're God and we're not. You know better than we do. We 
We don't have the authority to bargain with what your word says, to negotiate it. You've said what you've said, Lord, and help us to live by it. Help us to believe it. Help us to model it. Help us to share it with others. Help us to recognize that it's your word, that it's your truth, that it's your will. And to seek that out. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in our hearts, our minds, and our lives. God, I pray that you'd bless each one this morning. God, these can be difficult to hear. To have a friend like James, we'd need other kind of friends around too. <laughs> we'd need other friends that would encourage us from time to time, that would tell us that we're doing okay. But we also need friends like James. Says, hey, watch out. Hey, get this right. So God, we're thankful for Your Word today. Let it settle in on us in the ways that maybe we're not ready to hear it yet. Show it to us in ways that will change us and transform us and make us more like You. God, we want to be humble. We want to see ourselves rightly before You and rightly among people around us. If there's anybody listening to my voice this morning or later and you'd say, you know what, I've, I don't understand that kind of humility. I don't understand really God's heart for me. I've never really experienced God's love. I've never experienced God's grace. I've never really experienced His truth or His power before. Friend, I can tell you that that starts with a very simple invitation for God to come and to give Him the right to tell you how to live. An invitation to God to come and to have His way in your life, to reorder your priorities, to change around stuff in your mind and in your heart. It gives Him the right to be in charge. It's an act of humility. It says, hey, you're God and I'm not. You know better than me. So if you've never done that before and you, you want to walk with God, you want to live for God, you want to experience God in ways that you haven't yet, that comes a moment of surrender, a moment of humility that says, God, I, I've tried running my own life. I've tried living for my own way. I've tried doing my own thing. But God, I want to just try live for you. I'm going to mess it up. I'm not going to do it right, but I, I, I just want to invite you to come and change me from the inside. Forgive my sins and make me more like you. I receive your forgiveness and your power to change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, bless you folks. Thank you guys for coming today.